The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Hello, good afternoon. This is Mark Green standing in for Mary Woods. Um, I'm the medical director at Westbridge. And today we have Andrea Benson, who's clinical coordinator of services at the Center for Psychiatric Rehabilitation at Boston University in Massachusetts. Um, the, I'll hear more about the BU Center for Psychiatric Rehabilitation in a moment. Andrea is a social worker by training and has been at the center for several years um, providing counseling and um, rehabilitation services for people with severe and persistent mental illnesses who come into the program, but they have a very distinct model of recovery, which has been highly influential across the nation. Um, so, Andrea, hi. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Good, thank you. So, Andrea, tell us a little bit about the BU Psychiatric Rehabilitation Center uh, um, and your role there. Sure. Um, well, the Center for Psychiatric Rehabilitation uh, started back in 1979 by Dr. William Anthony, who was a clinical psychologist in the war, um, and he felt the need for something different. Um, so he started you know, a rehab center for people coming back from the war, um, you know, so they could have a different perspective on things. So. Uh, and then Dory and Larry, who are the directors here, they came in 1984 who started a program called Training for the Future. And Training for the Future is a computer training uh, vocational program uh, for one year. And in that program, uh, people are students here. They're not clients, patients, or consumers. Um, they take classes uh, on in computers and social skills and physical activity and food education, things like that. Um, so so that's one of the programs that we have running here at the center. Um, and, and, and Andrea, what's so distinctive about what Bill Anthony um, envisions there? And what's the importance of, is it just that you don't call the patients uh, patients, you call them students? What's distinctive in the feel of the place? Um, well, that's one thing, but really that people are first here. You know, people make their own decisions. They're not told what to do or how to do it. They they, they have a very active role in their recovery process. Uh, so it's it's very person-centered, person-first. Uh, so, you know, again, people really are students here. They're, they're not just called students. You know, they, even though it's a non-matriculated program, we're really helping people to get back on track or get on track with whatever it is that they're wanting to do in their life. That could be school or work. And I think it's important to emphasize how radical an idea this was um, in the early 80s and 90s and 
even now, um, that people were such a passive recipient of treatment um, sort of uh, administered by experts. And there was a big disparity between a sort of passive patient population receiving the wisdom of experts. Right. People were more told what would be good for them rather than the the person having more of a role in their recovery. And when I when I spend any time at the center, mm-hmm. it, it a, it's a very powerful experience to have that turned on its head. It's not just. Yes. Um, could you say something about the way that the system that the system is organized in terms of really using the skills and strengths of um, clients and people with mental illness? Because it's they're integrated a great deal into the organization. Oh, absolutely. We have a student advisory meeting, so people come in, students come in, and they give their ideas around classes that they might want to take um, that we don't have currently, um, things that we might not have in the kitchen, uh, workshops that they may want to have, uh, things that students themselves might want to present on. So there's a lot of opportunities for people here. Um, also, more than half our staff has been through the program, uh, so people are, you know, quite aware. So it's not just you're saying we ask our qualified right. um, staff to go through for a taste. What you're saying is that people who start as students move through their recovery and end up teaching classes and playing leadership roles within the organization. Absolutely, absolutely. Most of our teachers have been through the program themselves. Um, so, so they really have a good idea. Um, and we have another program called the Recovery Education Program where there's no cost um, and students can come in and take up to two to four classes um, in anything from physical activity to you know, food education to computer classes to social skills type classes to vocational to educational classes. Um, you know, at the center, and we have about 150 students in that program. So it's it's a really nice program. It it runs uh, both of our programs very much like an adult education center. Uh, so you know, again, people can you are, give us um give um can you tell us a couple of highlights of some courses which really stand out in your mind? As, sure, sure. Uh, uh, well, I know one course that people really like is uh, we have a, a woman who's a teacher here. She's a retired teacher um, from Cambridge, Marjorie, and she teaches a course called Kindred Spirits. And it, what it is is a class ar- around animals and recovery. So, you know, it's, it's the animal-human contact and how animals can be very therapeutic and helpful in our recovery. And so she brings in her dog, Micah, with her every week to teach this course. And, and Micah is a very big part of the course. So, so a lot of people really love, love that class. Um, and then we also have another one. And what's the, what's the, what's the point of the class? Uh, to, you know, animals can be very, because she teaches a lot of things around stress in that class and having an animal around or if people already have animals, it can be very soothing and learning how to connect with your animal to sort of de-stress you at the end of the day um, when you're having a stressful moment. And I think there's a whole 
burgeoning evidence base around pet therapy Absolutely. Um, and the calming and focusing that can occur um, in an interaction with an animal. And it can be a lot um, more effective initially uh, to connect with another animal than a human who can be so thorny and complicated and you have to figure out what's going on in their minds in order to have a reasonable interaction. Exactly, because the animals don't judge us, right. So, right? And they're always loving towards us, or at least we hope so. <laughs> so. If, yes, and they can, unless you're aggressive to them, so it can help you modify and help give you feedback on being straightforward and authentic in your own compassion. Right, right, exactly. Well, but I, I have heard about Marjorie. What's Marjorie's last name? And Marjorie Jacobs. Jacobs. Yeah. And I, don't, I know um, there used to be one by Eric Jonas, um, which particularly interested me, which was, I can't remember the name of it now, but it involved um, some discussion and then a physical um, a game, some kind of physical Oh, yes. Yep, that's our recovery education class. It's mm -hmm. called um, Recreation and Recovery, um, which we currently have on Thursday mornings. And in that class, uh, people go over um, across the street to the Aganis Arena, uh, where Alan Weinberger, he's uh, in charge of that part of the program, and he has coaches from BU come and give talks about sports and you know, things around sports and healthy eating, healthy lifestyle and exercise. And so they, they sort of have a half an hour class or discussion around that, and then they go out and do a different sport each week, anything from could be softball to uh, basketball, depending on the weather, of course, um, to dodgeball, you know, um, to basketball. So it's it's a nice nice class. A lot of people enjoy that. If only... In some ways, it sounds um, simplifying um, because it's not the way education used to be, like chalkboard and, and very strongly didactic. But in fact, a lot of education is really shifting over to much more participatory um, for um, all kinds of students, um, right. all universities, and um, where the models of education are, are much more interactive. Right. It's it's a very experiential type of learning program, very interactive. Um, everybody's uh, recovers, recovery is individualized, so you can have 15 people in one class and everyone is still an individual. Um, so everybody goes at their own pace, um, you know, and is studying or doing what they, they want to do, you know. Do you know anything about the outcomes um, for people going through this program as it compares to treatments as usual? Um, we, we do have a lot of people um, that are going back to school uh, that have taken leave of absences uh, or going to school, people who've wanted to go and they haven't gone. Uh, we have people going back to work. Um, Kim Bissett does a lot of work with uh, the vocational piece of our program. And she what she does back to the recovery education program is Part of that program is people get put into internships, but not just any internship. You know, it's something that people are, you know, again, very individualized program where uh, people, they, they do what they want to do. So they sort of pick the internship, essentially. So it could be at a bank. Uh, we've placed people at 
State Street Bank, for example, um, and then have gone on to work there, pass their internships. Um, so, you know, it, it's really what the person wants to do. It's, it's not us trying to get a job for somebody anywhere. It's really focused on what a person's goals are and what they want to do. Um, how did you get involved in all of this, Andrea? Um, well, I, I had worked in the um, in the rehabilitation field previously to to this position, and I I was just always interested in, in seeing people change and and go on with you know their lives and what they want to do, and you know not people not being told that you you can't do competitive employment, for example, um, or you you know people being told you can't go to school, you know, it's simply not true. People can go to school. They can work in a competitive field. And so that's really, you know, I got interested as, as I was learning, um, working in different places, doing internships, being a student. Um, and, and so then this position as the clinical coordinator came along. And um, so I'm doing a lot of work, mostly myself with uh, education around students going back to school here at the center. Okay, I'm going to take a break sure. um, now, and then we'll come back to that very topic. Okay, sounds great. Thanks. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Um, there's this girl I kind of like. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's women. Really? Well, they didn't call me velvet for nothing. I don't get it. Smooth. I was smooth. Oh, anyway, it's easy. You just got to impress her. Show her how strong you are. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? I don't know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt, if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, Ugh! Try it. Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> See, there you go. And you should dress up. Start wearing a shirt and tie. I'll look like a dork. No, you'll look successful. Okay. And finally, you can start using my cologne. <clears throat> the ladies love it, so don't be shy. Splash it on. Thanks, Dad. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at adoptuskids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Janine Marks, a 12-year-old, was fairly normal. She spent a lot of time online. One day, she met a new friend. The new friend had the same problems at home. They liked the same bands. They worried about the same subjects in school. They promised to keep each other's secrets. They wished they went to the same junior high. The new friend had good news. He said he was going to be in Janine's area one Saturday. He thought it would be amazing if they could just hang out, go to the mall. Janine agreed. The new friend didn't want parents messing this up. Janine showed up alone. So did her new friend. 
who wasn't in junior high, wasn't nice, and wasn't a 14-year-old boy. Every day, children are sexually solicited online. Help delete online predators. Call 1-800-THE-LOST or visit CyberTipLine.com to learn how to protect your kids' online life. A message from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and the Ad Council. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hello, welcome back. I'm Mark Green. I'm the medical director at Westridge. Speaking with Andrea Bengson. Hello. Oh, hello. Um, so, Andrea, tell mm-hmm. me about um, your new initiatives around engaging students um, and, at, through the Center for Psychiatric Rehab. Uh, sure. We're now working a lot more with uh, students who have taken leave of absences from school or who are wanting to go to college, uh, mostly young adults, um, a few older adults, and um, what that involves is uh, right now mostly Boston University students, however, a few students from other colleges. Um, and what that involves is students, you know, who struggled in the past with school for whatever reason, medical reasons, the stresses in their lives. And so now we, what I'm doing is, you know, meeting individually with students uh, about once a week typically. Um, depending on the student and, you know, helping them in the process of going back to school and what that entails. Uh, so that could be anywhere from setting up a tutor to setting up services through Office of Disability, uh, through setting up note-takers, extended test time, uh, meeting with professors with students individually, uh, you know, just keeping on track in close communication with students, you know, to Make sure they're not overwhelmed or taking too many classes. Uh, we usually recommend that a student, if they're coming back, start with just one course, um, you know, to see how they do and not to get overwhelmed. And if they do well, then maybe take two in the next semester and so forth. So will you work in conjunction with their outpatient providers, like psychiatrists or psychotherapists that they've already had? Oh, absolutely. We we get a lot of referrals from um, uh, psychiatrists, um, people who've been in outpatient programs, and you know I keep in contact, very close contact as well with their psychiatrists or social workers uh, and so forth. Um, so you know we can make sure that we're all on the same page, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And how many hours of service might you provide a week? Um, per student, I would say it can depend on what their need is. Um, it can be anywhere from 35 minutes to three hours a week per student um, because, you know, also with students coming back, we, we also help with, you know, if they're wanting to move into the dorms to help with that whole process or financial aid, you know, why they haven't gotten their letter yet, that kind of thing. And if people, what kind of issues do you find that students are struggling with um, that you've been able to help around? Uh, 
Uh, I think mostly depression and anxiety, um, being a student, um, mm-hmm. which happens with a lot of students. Actually, at BU alone, they just did a study that uh, depression on this campus alone has gone up 500%. Really? Over, do you know what time period that's been? Um, over one year, I believe, last year. 500%? Yes, yes. Five hundred percent. How would you? How do you? How do you understand that? I I don't I know I honestly I don't know I think um, you know a lot of students you know they don't seek help right away they you know then they take these surveys that the um, health services might pass out or or whoever on campus counseling services and um, you know it's you know a lot of the students can be freshmen coming in first time away from home. Uh, students aren't sure how to get involved necessarily in student groups. So if a student is taking a Japanese class, for example, there is a Japanese club on campus, um, but a lot of students don't know that or how to get connected. So I kind of assist them in getting connected. So the challenges that you see are people separating um, and really having difficulty forming a new social circle. Right. Um, and um, feeling lost. Right, and so a lot of people are isolating, um, unfortunately, and that kind of thing. Um, so, so now what we're doing, or what BU has done in the past as well, is had what's called a National Depression Screening Day, mm-hmm. um, which is in October, I believe, the ninth, and um, it, it's across the gamut. So all college campuses have it on the same day. And they they have a screening um, for depression, and if a student requires further help, then there's a room that they can go into and speak with someone privately. Um, so, Unfortunately, a lot of the students who um, have difficulties don't access those services and um, are more isolated or uh, feel stigmatized or feel ashamed. Right, and that's a, a big problem as well. A lot of uh, students will self-medicate, so to speak, with, you know, alcohol, drugs, kind of the old school way, so to speak, um, of dealing with it. Um, and then what's found is a lot of students are doing too much of that, and then the school, the work kind of falls to the wayside. Um, so because it's, it's more accepted to drink than to, you know, see a psychiatrist. It certainly is. And it, this is such a chicken and egg situation. I, I, everybody who develops an addiction or has lost control of their drug use and alcohol use ends up self-medicating because they're, they're drink, people drink either to feel good because it's a fun thing to do or right. to feel better. Right. Um, you know, and um, because of the nature of addiction, everyone develops sleep disturbances and difficulties coping and arguments with their relationships and feel frustrated and angry and then end up saying, oh, yes, I'm drinking or using drugs to self-medicate. But also at the same age, at mm-hmm. this critical age of young adulthood, people are presenting with first episodes of depression and psychosis. They're also presenting their potential addictions also really cresting. And there's a separate developmental line for that from their family histories and developmental right. histories throughout adolescence. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you, it presents initially to psychiatric services as depression. Mm-hmm. And it, it can be a bit of a problem if, some, if the treaters see the addiction as 
um, self-medicating because um, the treatment isn't as robust for the addiction piece in those cases. People say, oh, well, we'll just treat the, the true condition, the depression or the psychosis, and the addiction will fall by the wayside. And unfortunately, that hasn't proved so true. Um, do you find... Right. Um, as I say, you know, Westbridge is also setting up our um, education support program, which provides evidence-based practices for people with dual co-occurring disorders um, aimed specifically at the college population. So we have groups and individual services and then a lot of the coaching and um, support services similar to your describing with the schools and counselors and teachers and study skills and social skills um, and family therapy services. So much of the problems that the kids are presenting with are transitioning problems. Um, that they're leaving home, coming to right. a new environment and don't necessarily have all the skills ready to be able to um, put into practice um, when they don't have the same support structures that they had at home or at their prep school, or at their uh, high school, you know, where there are many more intensive services. B is a big place, isn't it? It's, it's a very big place, and it's very spread out. It's, it's not even really your typical college where it's sort of in a circle type of format. It's, it's on a long road, Commonwealth Avenue. Um, so, you know, and it's, you know, students, I think, can be a little intimidated because it is such a huge school, you know, and there's, there's so many undergraduate students. Uh, mostly, so um, and and a lot of pressure from the colleges that students are in. They have to maintain a certain GPA, and you know if if they fall behind that, then they can be you know temporarily on academic probation, or you know which can be quite overwhelming and stressful to people. Um, it's really staggering that when that decline starts and people begin to slip behind, mm -hmm. so many students don't know what else to do other than a little bit more Ritalin during the day or more caffeine or more stimulants during the day, which just further disrupts their sleep and makes them even more anxious and miserable the next day and get into this dreadful cycle. And, mm -hmm. and stimulants are used by almost 20% of, well, nationally, national surveys, 20% of um, undergraduates are, are using stimulants and about 9%, yes. I think, is that right, 9%? Um, are um, prescribed. Um, so it's so commonplace um, and seemingly and, and accepted mm -hmm. that it seems like a reasonable approach for people to try, but you're, you're digging your hole deeper much of the time. Right, right. And, you know, the pressure, peer pressure, you know, if, you know, some students are going back to school or might be 22 and most of their friends have graduated, so they're thinking they're too old, which just simply is not the case. Most students are 22 or 25, even undergraduate students. Um, so I think a lot of people don't realize that. And, um, you know, the pressures of being in a certain major, they're thinking their parents want them to be in a certain major. I worked with one student who was a pre-med major because, you know, it would be good for the family, but he he just was not suited to be a pre-med major. And mm -hmm. once he we realized that, you know, and changed the major, he's, he's doing much, much better, much, much better. Right, but probably needed your help 
communicate to communicate to the family that that's really not where his heart heart was, right. and um, get over some perceived expectations. And it, it's often the case that families are fine with it, but right. it's gone unsaid for so long um, that there's this unspoken assumption that parents would want me to do this, or you know, this, or my child wants to do this course. And it's never actually been discussed in a rational, straightforward fashion. Right, and his parents were actually fine with the decision as well. Exactly. All right, so um, we'll come back after a short break. Great. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. This is an important programming note from the Voice America Women's Channel. The Catherine Zox Show is moving. Our new address is Voice America, and we will be heard on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, starting Wednesday, November 19th. All of the archives will still be available through Catherine's Boombox Player. Remember, tune in to the Catherine Zox Show on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, beginning on Wednesday, November 19th, on Voice America's flagship Voice America Channel. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hello, um, this is Mark Green, um, Medical Director of Westbridge. Andrea, um, tell me about the um, Active Minds initiative that goes on at BU and your involvement with them. Sure. Um, well, Active Minds, what it is, it's a, a nonprofit 501c3 organization that started uh, by a student from the University of Pennsylvania back in 2001, I believe, uh, because her, her brother committed suicide. Um, on a college campus. He was a student, I believe, a year older than her um, at a different college. And so she started this organization called Active Minds. And what it is, it's it's a group of students who are raising mental health awareness on college campuses. So a lot of campuses have this chapter. Um, and, you know, it's it's sort of trying to erase the stigma of having a mental illness or being depressed or, you know, feeling overwhelmed while in college, which a lot of students are, um, is, you know, and, and helping to seek services. So we, we started at BU with a chapter, um, myself and uh, a student president. The group is really run by students. And um, so what we have, we've done fundraisers, um, 
to raise money to do different activities, um, such as bringing in speakers um, who've gone through college uh, and who are working now, for example, um, and talking about their mental health um, challenges that they've had. And uh, we will be involved with the National Depression Screening Day. We'll have a table set up um, talking about the Active Minds group. We have a support group where students can come uh, twice a week. It's the first and third Monday of every month in the fall and spring semesters uh, where students can go to the CAS building and connect with one another around, you know, peer support. So, you know, challenges and, and knowing that they're not the only one on campus going through something. How, how is the attendance on these? Um, well, we're, we're just starting that group. So we've had maybe up to 20 people um, at any really? time. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but then some days it could just be two to five people. So it just it depends um, on the percentages. But but it, you know the students who have connected with one another, it, it really does offer a nice support, and, and people are realizing they're not the only one on campus, and you know they're not they don't need to be stigmatized. You know, you're you're just getting help with the services. So, how much stigma um, do you think does persist on campuses? Um, I think a lot, to be honest. I, you know, I think that students, you know, kind of want to stay away if somebody has a, a mental health um, challenge uh, because, you know, it's scary if you don't know anything about mental health, you know. Um, so, um, so what we've done, for example, is, which a lot of students took to, is we hung up posters and put up pictures of people, for example, in a quote. So, for example, we had a woman, and we were talking about eating disorders, so a woman um, who was a model, we hung up a picture, and she said, I, I feel like I'm too fat. And so a lot of students would come by through the student union and write comments and thinking, wow, you know. So it's, it's a way to really raise awareness on campus. Um, you know, and I think a lot more students are, are coming around to that. And also there's a nice, uh, there's a backpacking exhibit which really exhibits, um, which we're going to try to get here through Active Minds. And what it is, it's 11,000 backpacks that Active Minds comes around with to different college campuses. And they have a picture and a narrative of students, college students who have committed suicide on college campuses. Um, because there's 11,000 suicides on college campuses every year. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's an extremely moving exhibit, mm. um, you know, and people can donate $5 and then post a loved one or friend, family member um, on the backpacks. That's a staggering number, isn't it? Like, it it yeah. really is. It's just amazing that, you know, people and a lot of these kids, you know, have been 20 years old, you know, and seen no way out when there there is so much, you know, to help with that. So. And it's so tricky because much of the time people expect um, or turn a blind eye or don't realize the, the concern um, or don't realize their own concern when the kids are getting more unregulated with their sleep. They put it down to where they're working all night or, or getting overexcited with social events. Or, well, there's always a bit of experimenting and drugs and alcohol. And, and it's important to emphasize yet again that alcohol and um, benzodiazepines raise the um, likelihood of suicide 
um, several fold. Um, so right. I think I, I always forget this number, but along the lines of 80% of completed suicides involve alcohol and drugs generally, and this is such prevalent, so prevalent in this age group. Um, right. But, but interestingly, a lot of the times when people um, review suicides or families talk about suicides in their families, they don't address the fact that alcohol and drugs was a big part of it. Right. And they emphasize the depression and the, and the sadness. There's even greater stigma, I think, that um, alcohol and drugs um, may, play, may play a significant role here. Right. But I, you know, see, uh, yeah, I've worked with a couple of students who've gotten involved with alcohol and drugs, and yeah, they've told me, you know, in the dorms, living in the dorms, and going out with friends and having friends, it's, you know, again, much more accepted than you know, taking medication, right, for what's going on um, with them. So it's it's an easy way out. It is a much more easy way out, yeah. Yeah. And when you said that uh, mental illness is scary, you meant for friends um, of people who might be concerned um, about someone who ha- who's showing troubling symptoms or depression or eating disorder. They don't want to go near it because the whole realm of discussion scares them or they don't know how to do- address it. Right, and a lot of, you know, I mean, I, I relate a lot of that to, you know, Hollywood, just because, you know, we see movies that... You know, people with mental health um, challenges are, are crazy, right? You know, and, and they're very, you know, they show these extreme, you know, films about mental health, and it's it's not necessarily the case in most situations that I found. Or to some concern that if you say anything, you're going to make it worse or alienate the person and um, right. or push them to make some suicide attempt. Um, which is essentially never the case. Right. It's it's very rare mm-hmm. um, that that's the case. Almost zero, I would say. And you know. So do the program. So does the um, active minds also facilitate or attempt to educate people across the campus um, on how to view people who are struggling in a different light? Oh, absolutely. They do that. We we had um, a three-night or three-evening um, series where we showed a movie, and we had a couple of speakers, one around eating disorders and the one around depression and anxiety, um, you know, and trying to educate people. And, you know, so we asked some professors if they'll, you know, give extra credit if they have their students go and that kind of thing. So that kind of gets people to go as well. And then, uh, Priyanka, who's the president of Active Binds, she'll um, bring a lot of, um, or hang up a lot of flyers around campus as well. Mm-hmm. So, so, and we had one one person who came um, who has bipolar, and he came and spoke about his experience. So he was a very big speaker on campus, and a lot of students came to that. Now, one thing that really the BU Center for psychiatric rehabilitation has championed is a strength-based perspective on um, one's condition. Mm-hmm. Um, can you say something about that and how, how it probably influences your work with students? I'm sorry, I didn't hear the first part of your... Um, one thing that the BU Center for Psychiatric Rehabilitation has championed uh-huh. is a strength-based perspective on um, recovery. Right. I'm wondering how that 
it has informed or influenced your work with students? Uh, I think, well, we encourage students, you know, you know, to, you know, kind of advocate for themselves, you know, and, you know, of course we offer support if people need it. Um, so people feel, you know, are kind of gaining more confidence and self-esteem, you know, once they advocate for themselves. You know, again, we have the student advisory uh, meeting where students can come and voice their opinion. We have a lot of classes because students, you know, suggested the courses. Um, we'll have students give workshops um, on things and educate people. We have a course called Photo Voice where students will go out and take pictures and write a narrative on the pictures of their experience of living with, with mental health. And so this really empowers people, um, you know, to kind of take charge, you know, back their, their lives and make their own decisions and not constantly have people telling them, you know, what to do or how to do it or, you Yeah, know, the photo voice, I've seen a number of the photo voice exhibitions um, or work displayed because it's, it's fairly consistently displayed in the, um, in your center, right? Yes. Oh, yes, we have and it. It's immensely powerful work, very evocative, some, some seemingly, some seemingly um, simple photographs which mm -hmm. once the person has really reflected on how it depicts their existential crisis or um, some, some, sometimes less powerfully philosophically but just as powerful in a very touching moment on their life, um, and through this expression, um, the students in the BU Center have almost found a new creative voice for themselves. Um, and it must be a very uplifting experience to be part of a group um, expressing yourself in such a way. Oh, it really is. We, we had one picture that really struck me. It was a picture of a drain. And a woman was saying how, you know, society made her feel like a drain on society mm -hmm. um, because of using mental health, you know, resources. It's such an, yeah, it's an interesting play on words there as well, yeah. using sometimes the um, loosening of thought, which occurs in some mental illnesses in a very creative fashion um, to, and a very, to um evoke something through that sort of association. I remember a very powerful picture of a um, side of a building with two very small windows yeah. um, depicting the, the closed up emotions of the, um, of the artist mm -hmm. and yep. how locked in she felt during, that, uh, during darker periods of her illness. Um, and you take a very strength-based perspective, and that probably informs your work with the, the general student population, too. Right. Oh, absolutely. Well, we've come up to our um, break again, and we'll be back shortly. Okay. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh, uh, there you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Ever seen a hornet, Shelly? No, ma'am. Well, you're five. What are you waiting for? They've built a nest outside your window. See? No. You will when you climb 15 feet up this ladder to get rid of them. Take this insecticide and broom <laughs> and send those stinging meanies packing. What if I fall? I could get hurt. Oh, you know about gravity already. You're so smart. Oh, go, 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 go. The hornets are waiting. Uh, Shoot! Get away! Scream at them, dear hornets. Hate high pitched noises. Yeah, uh, try not to swallow too many. Get away! Knock that nest out of the park. You wouldn't treat your child like an adult. So why put them in adult seat belts? If they're under four foot nine, they need a booster seat. I can't see! Are they biting me? Oh, that's so cute. No, honey, hornets don't bite, silly. They sting. Ow! For more information, go to boosterseat.gov. This message brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Department of Transportation. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor in sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor in sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back, thanking me for my concerns, and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. So this is Mark Green, off-air, Andrea was just asking a bit more about our ESP, Educational Support Programs. I'm happy to, 
tell you a little bit more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, over the, we're always striving to meet the individualized goals of our participants and structure and scaffold recovery services in the pertinent community they want to be involved with. And we obviously work with a lot of people with, um, who are young adults eager to return to education um, or who've been uh, referred from their universities for ongoing um, mental health and addiction challenges which have got in the way of their education. We also had some students referred to us who wanted to, um, from outside um, prescribers who were looking for assistance. So we constructed a group specifically for people um, in college and often people at that age group do not want to stop using drugs and alcohol, do not see it as a major, as a a big problem and um, nor do they nor have they signed on to the idea that they have a major mental illness which needs ongoing medication. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of our work um, across the board, but particularly with this age group, works on engagement and motivation, um, trying to meet the student where they're at in terms of their um, readiness um, for um, supportive services. So a lot of the time they might want to continue to use drugs and alcohol, and it's the onus of proof is upon us to, um, to make it seem sensible for them mm-hmm. to reduce their use or perhaps even um, make the choice to abstain entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, such a process takes a while, and we don't necessarily feel that abstinence is the only way with this age group. Mm-hmm. Um, often with people who are more developed in their addictions, it seems clear that they can't go back to controlled use. Mm-hmm. But when, but early, but young adults who are struggling with their drugs and alcohol and emerging um, mental health challenges uh, may or may not be able to control their use or and and symptoms in order, and at the same time be successful in school. Mm-hmm. So we've developed what we call our educational support program. Um, and our flyers are just ready to go to the printers, which involves our ongoing assessment of their academic goals and the mental health and addiction challenges that may or may not be there. And you were saying, Mark, um, to meet people where they're at, I, I thought that was interesting because I'm also working with a student right now um, who wants to go back to school uh, next year. And so right now we're working on, you know, um, not drinking as much, actually, and, and not uh, smoking cigarettes as much, you know, and learning to balance his budget a little bit more, you know, daily skills before he, he goes back to school. Um, right. So the meeting them where they're at is a phrase borrowed from the harm reduction literature. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it speaks to the fact that if you're aiming your intervention at a stage of change above where the participant is, for example, if the participant, if the um, student is saying, look, I'm really enjoying drinking, 
Right. And it just helps me sleep and, I, and have a good time with my friends. And you're saying, well, you really need to stop because it's bad for you. Um, you're not going to meet, meet them in the middle of it. You're not going to be able to construct a reasonable dialogue and be able to help them think through the pros and cons of this predicament and what choices they have open to them. Right. So you, the, the goal in all motivational interviewing is uh, whether it's for um, psychiatric challenges, addiction challenges, or, or any choice in life, is to help pe people enunciate what they're, wh why they feel strongly about a particular perspective and begin to see how that's working for them or not working for them. Consider some alternatives and feel supported to experiment to make some choices um, and decisions about trying new behaviors. And over time, shift from more destructive behaviors to less destructive behaviors and hopefully health promotion, promoting behaviors. So right. um, we might have a crossroads group which helps people really think through the pros and cons of their, their drug use or whether they want to take medications or what they think about this diagnosis of bipolar or they heard their psychiatrist call them, uh, say that they may have schizophrenia and what this might mean. And, and so there's a lot of education involved. There's a lot of support. There's also a lot of um, reducing the anger and resentment, which is really driven by a lot of fear and anxiety of the unknown and whether things might fall apart sometimes. Right. And I think, you know, again, meeting people where they're at and not pushing people too um, hard you know, because it can really have a, a bad effect um, on, on people if, if you're kind of putting your own opinion in it, so to speak, too much. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. You get you'll just get yeses in return, and um, right. you'll lose the engagement. People would be very disinterested in what you've got to say um, if you're not listening to them. Right. Um, it feels disrespectful, and um, no one wants to hear some expert wagging their finger and telling them what to do. Right. I, I think we all know ourselves best. <laughs> exactly. We all know ourselves best. Uh -huh. um, and if people try to push us into a different role, mm -hmm. it feels disrespectful, and it feels, and you push back. So it's up to other, it's up to the treatment providers to really be convincing. And right. So our program also uses the assertive community treatment model. So we go to the students classes or, or dorm or where they want to meet rather than say they have to come to our office. Um, we do a lot of family education and support to work with family members to increase their involvement and effectiveness in supporting their child. Yep. Um, and yeah, it's really important to have the support system. Absolutely. Think of family and friends. And it sounds like you're constructing that a lot um, on the campus, probably accessing and this um, this Active Minds group might be a really wonderful resource um, yeah. to facilitate that. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a nice way for students to connect to one another and have that peer support. Right. Um, so our model, as your model, um, mm -hmm. has been very influenced by the recovery perspective, mm -hmm. which I think Bill Anthony was central in uh, advocating. 
um, and has really changed the, the face of mental health treatment models in the States. Mm-hmm. Can you say a little bit about the changes that you have noticed or seen? Um, that I've noticed is, you know, in, in working in sort of an old-school environment and, and then, a, you know, more of a, a progressive environment is, is that people, you know, if you're, if you're working in, in more of a, the thing where pe- you're telling people what to do, you know, people get very resistant, and I think that anybody would, would be resistant to that, myself included. Um, if someone's constantly telling me what to do, where he is here, you know, or in rehab programs, probably I'm sure is yours as well, you know, people are making their own choices. They're their own person. So people end up much more successful in what they want to do. Absolutely. And um, you and your program have been very crucial in that, also in terms of empowerment of um, people with psychiatric illnesses, involvement in peer counseling, mm-hmm. um, and really integrating um, the strengths of, pe- of people, whether, however they've been labeled in the past, mm-hmm. um, so that they've been, become an asset to, to whatever community they're in. Mm-hmm. Andrea, um, how would students hear more about your program? Uh, they can just contact me, uh, Andrea, um, at the you know Center for Psychiatric Rehabilitation. I'd be more than happy to speak with anyone or, or make a time to meet with anyone. And your program is um, visible on the web. Oh, absolutely. Andrea, thanks so much for being a guest with us today. Thank you. And take care. You too. Bye. Bye. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.